0: Good morning church family. Please open your Bibles to Colossians. My name is Corey Rotolo and I have the honor of reading our scripture today from Colossians 1 verses 1 through 14. These words come to us recorded by human hands under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and therefore they come today to us as the very word of God. So let's ready our hearts to hear the word of our Lord from Colossians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, thanks for being out here today uh, on this Labor Day 2023. Um, You know, we had to do this last year. We didn't have a a space to meet and it was such a great event. It was such a great time to, to both worship And to then have a cookout and and play together and eat together afterward, we said, well, let's do it again. And and I like a lot of things about what's going on right now. First of all, I like open air preaching. I like the idea of that. Another thing, I like preaching in the round, which, you know, I'm kind of doing. We got our choir back here. And so really grateful for um, this opportunity to preach God's word in a, a public park like this. We're starting a study of the book of Colossians Uh, And we're going to be looking at this throughout the fall. I I think this is an important study. John Calvin, who is one of the great thinkers, philosophers, theologians of all time, but certainly the last 500 years, has shaped your thought probably more than than you realize. He said, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Of idols, This gets to something that I was talking about last week. Uh, Jonathan Edwards had this idea of disordered loves. And the disordered love means that we're more drawn to the lesser thing than the greater thing, right? So there's a lesser thing, there's a greater thing. We should be able to discern and love the greater thing, but our heart is disordered. Our heart loves the lesser thing more than the greater thing. Or as Calvin's saying here, we we perpetually create these idols that we worship, these things that we think are very important. Um, But an idol, of course, is anything other than God that we give ultimate authority to or ultimate importance to. Our heart is always making idols. Now, that's dangerous. But what's really dangerous is when we make an idol and name the idol Jesus. When we make an idol... We create some sort of image of God that we worship, that we try to ascribe to that isn't actually God. We make some sort of image of Jesus. You know, I talk to people all the time, we'll say things like, I like to think of Jesus like, I like to think of Jesus like X, or I like to think of Jesus like Y. Well, as soon as you say that, as soon as you say, I like to think of Jesus in this way or that way, what have you done? What are you doing? Well, you're, you're creating an idol. You, you are putting yourself in the position of authority there. I have imagined Jesus in this way. This is the way I like to think of Jesus. But of course, an imaginary Jesus like that is really no Jesus at all. An imaginary Jesus like that is, it has no more authority than your imagination has it. You know, I, I love David Foster Wallace. It has, it has no authority outside of your skull sized kingdom, right? But the, but the good news for us, why we are here gathered for worship today is that there, there actually is a Jesus there actually is a son of God. There actually is a God who's manifested himself, who's come to dwell among us, who'd, and who's revealed himself. And so one of the best things that we could do is what we're about to do, is to study God's word, is to, is to look at God's word, is to open the revelation of God. I love what Corey just said, that God through his word is speaking to us, and, and he's defining to us, he's defining himself to us, he's showing us who he is and what it means to worship him. Now, a very simplistic understanding of the Bible is that in the Old Testament, In the Old Testament, we see the character, the nature of God on display in a number of different ways. In in the Gospels, uh, the part of the Bible where Jesus comes and lives on earth, we see Jesus living out the character and the nature of God. And then the epistles, what we're about to be studying, is is really these, these writers of these letters putting all of that theology together, and and helping us understand how the character and the nature of God is manifest in the person of Jesus and how that impacts us, how that changes us. So as we look at this text today, as we begin this journey, two things that I I wanna look at with you. There's a lot that we could look at in the book of, in this first little part of Colossians, but the the two things, very simply, the good news of the gospel and the fruit of, Of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, and the fruit of the gospel. So let's begin with the good news of the gospel. You know the song Amazing Grace? It has this very interesting line. It's one of my favorite song lines. And it says, 'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved.' It's a very interesting line, isn't it? grace the grace of God both taught us how to fear and then the grace of God relieved those fears it's a very interesting way to think about the work of God now I believe that there's enough image of God in all of us to give us this sense of fear it's a sense of transcendence it's a sense of oughtness it's a sense of knowing that we ought to do better it's a sense of knowing that God is out there, right? Now, we often don't take time to actually think about that. We're just moving on from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, and we don't have these quiet moments. I mean, it's it's amazing. I, I was looking at statistics this week. You know, quiet moments are way down in our life. You know, for for all of basically all of human history, until my granddad, you know what people used to do during the day? They would go out into a field and they would work and all they would hear is the sound of nature. Now, that gave you a lot of time to think, to, to think about transcendent things, to think about your own soul, to, to think about your own mortality. Well, that's down. I mean, that's, we never have that any, anymore. We're just moving on from the next thing to the next thing. And when we start to think about the, those things, we, we don't like it, right? I mean, this is what I think Billy Joel was saying in the song, Piano Man. He's, you know He says, he knows that it's me they've been coming to see to forget about life for a while, right? They just go listen to the song. They go, they go have a beer at the bar. They're, they're, they're listening to the next thing. They're doing the next thing. These, having these moments of transcendence are rare, but when you have them, there's this bit of anxiety that comes up in your heart. And I actually think that's the grace of God. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Now, you, you either do one of two things in response to that, or really one of three things. The first thing you do is just keep ignoring it, right? You just go to the next thing. You just look at the next thing. You, you just get back on Instagram. You just get back on your email. You just find the next thing to, to keep your soul activated so that you don't have to think about your own mortality. You don't have to think about your own life. Or you try to overcome those thoughts with, with a sense of justification. Uh, well, yes, I know I'm going to die. Yes, I know my life is fading, but I know that I'm important because... Or I know I should have done better, but I know that I'm righteous because. You you think of your achievements. You go to your trophy case of life, and you say, well, I've done these things. I know that I'm special because. So you can either move past those feelings. You can either try to overcome those feelings with some sense of achievement, or, and this is what Paul's getting at here, or you can believe the gospel. You can believe what God has done for you in the good news of the gospel. Now, this is an amazing passage. Look at verse 3 with me. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for the saints. So, again, there's a result to believing the gospel, there's a love for one another. But this is the, this is the amazing phrase that I, I was thinking about all week. It's verse five. It says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, because of the hope that you have, because of the treasure of hope that you have laid up for you in heaven, in heaven. Paul's understanding of the hope of the gospel is not about something that you could earn or could get if you do right. His understanding of the hope of the gospel is about something, if you're in Christ, that you already have. You already have this hope in heaven. You already have a, an account, if you will, in heaven that is full. In Christ, you're given a position. You're given a hope that—that's a radical idea. Do, do we believe that? Do we believe that I have this account of hope in heaven before God that is already full? Christ has already achieved on my behalf. The transaction has already taken place. I had a conversation with this with this guy this week. Interesting guy. He's exploring the faith. Very smart guy, and and um, he's starting to believe that God could be gracious. It was obvious in our conversation. You know that. He was starting to believe in a God that could be gracious to him, that God could be merciful to him, that, that, he, that he didn't have to necessarily earn his way into favor with God. He, these, this idea is starting to form in this guy's mind. But he said to me, he said, well, my problem with Christianity, Jason, is the, the cross. <laughs> He's like, I just don't get how that thing, that one thing <laughs> could be so important. I can believe in a God that is gracious, but, but why do we have to believe in this thing, this event that happened. Why is that event so magnanimous, so important, so special, right? And the, the analogy that popped in my head at that time is I said, well, have you ever seen the show The Office? And he said, yeah, I love the show The Office. And I said, well, good. Well, there's this, there's this episode called Scott's Tots. Y'all know the Scott's Tots episode? If you've never seen The Office, Michael Scott played by Steve Carell, he's the kind of main character, and he makes this promise to these third graders that if they graduate high school someday, he would pay for their college. Now it felt amazing to make that promise, he was a hero. But lo and behold, these third graders grow up, and one day they actually graduate high school. And so now it's actually time for Michael Scott to actually pay for them to go to college, to fulfill the promise that he had made. The promise is he didn't have any money. He couldn't couldn't pay for them to go to college. So he goes to the school and they're thanking him and they're singing all these songs. They're telling him how he's a hero and he has to tell him, you know, I can't pay for your college. It was, I'm a fraud. I, I just wanted to, it felt so good to make an empty promise. I said to this guy, I said, you know, you believe in a God that could be gracious. The thing about the Christian God is that there actually was a transaction. The problem with Michael Scott is that (laughs) there was no actual transaction. It was just just an empty promise. But the importance of the cross is that on the cross, the actual transaction was made. The the actual price for our sin was paid. The, The punishment that we deserve because of our sin against the Holy God has been achieved. And because of the righteous life of Christ, our account in heaven has been filled up with righteousness and with hope. That's why Paul is talking like this. He doesn't say this could happen. No, he's saying because of the the transactions already happened. The transaction happened on the cross and by the power of the resurrection, it's already in the past. So now live in light of what Jesus has done. Now live in light of what Jesus has done. I I, I wish I could explain to you how profound this is. You know, you know, we, we, we can understand, I think, the nature of God, the power of God, the wonder of God in creation, right? I mean, you ever had those moments where you feel small? people always talk about the Grand Canyon. You go to the Grand Canyon, you feel small, and you do. Or, or you just have those moments where you're around so many people. You, know, you think you know a lot of people, and then you go to like the Atlanta airport. And you're like, this is the Atlanta airport, and I don't know anybody, much less the Beijing airport, you know much less some some place where I really don't know anybody. You feel small, and then you realize, wait, I'm among a whole universe. I, I, I was just kind of just looked this up this week just because out of interest, you know, the closest star is 4.2 light years away. 4.2 light years away, which means that if you could travel at the speed of light, Thanksgiving of 2027, you could be to the closest star. But you'd have to travel at the speed of light. Now, that's an amazing thing to think about. You know, I, I actually... Flying out to California this week to go to the Auburn game, War Eagle. But flying out to California this week, if you could, if you could travel Mach 10, anybody seen Top Gun 2? Top Gun 2, the, what he's trying to do at the beginning there, the, the crazy scene at the beginning, Tom Cruise is trying to go Mach 10. Okay, if you could try Mach 10, you could make it, I could fly from here to San Francisco in 18 minutes, okay? Mach 10. Now, Mach 10, that's really fast, that's 7,600 miles an hour, 7,600 miles an hour. The speed of light is 761 million miles an hour. So just think about Tom Cruise at Mach 10. That's 7,600 miles an hour. Light, 761 million miles an hour. You'd have to do that constantly for 4.2 years. And by Thanksgiving, 2027, you'd be at the closest star. What's amazing to think about is that there, we, we think that there are 200 billion million stars. Billion million is a 200 with 21 zeros behind it. 200 billion million stars. And then what's even more amazing to think about is that the scientists believe that the entire universe, 93 billion light years, 93 billion light years across and God is so powerful and so big and so magnificent that he created and controls every square inch of the entire universe. It's easy for us to understand the magnitude. It's not easy for us to understand, but at least we can kind of, I think that we, we are in awe of the grandeur of God when we think about his greatness in creation. But what Paul is saying here, if you get this gospel if you get the grandeur of God, that God has demonstrated in an even more profound and more amazing way, more magnanimous way in the gospel, the love of God has been manifest to you in a more profound way in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God would give his life to save you. You, know, you know, A life for a life, I mean, that's a profound thing. But a life for a life, if If the person is rejecting the person, or the person is undeserving. That's an even more profound thing. If you've read the Old Testament book of Hosea, you know, Hosea is told by God to go marry this prostitute. Then he marries the prostitute, redeeming her from this prostitution. And what does she do? She goes out and chases after other men. She even has children with the other men. And then God says, go be with her again. Go love her. Go love these children. And he does. And the reason that God is giving us this story, the reason God's, telling the prophet to do this is, is God is saying, I want you to see how profound my love is for you. That you have, you have you've run away from me and yet I've pursued you. So, so life for a life, that's a profound thing. Life for an undeserving life, that's a profound thing. But, but life for a life is really not what the gospel is. This is creator for created. This isn't just life for life. This is God for his creation. And that is so profound. And if you believe that you have been given such such a high place that you are forgiven, that you are free, that you have worth. That's why Paul can say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more price to pay. That's why Paul is saying here, you have this treasure trove of hope laid up for you in heaven. And so the second point is the fruit of the gospel. If that's the power of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel, it, basically what Paul is saying here is live into this identity. Look at verse 9 with me. He says, From the day that we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, so that you would know this in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, live into this, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy, giving thanks to the father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance with the saints of light. He has delivered us for the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness sin, What Paul is saying here is that the Christian life is not a life that is lived for something. It is a life that is lived from something. If you are in Christ, through simple faith in Jesus, repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus, you have redemption of sin. You have forgiveness. You have this treasure of hope laid up for you. Don't live for that. Live from that. Live in light of that. Live in light of this calling that you've been called to. You know, a couple of years ago, one of the elders in, in one of our uh, sermon review times says, you know, Jason, too many football analogies. You got to use different stuff. But it's opening weekend of college football, so you'll have to forgive me. But, you know, the movie Rudy, there's this great scene. Rudy, of course, one of these great football movies. And of course, Rudy, if you've seen the movie, he's five foot nothing, he's a hundred and nothing. He gets out there and he plays for Notre Dame, but he's only on the scout team. Now, the scout team is very important. The scout team, what the scout team does in football is tries to give the look of the opposing team that the main team is getting ready for. So, if you're on a scout team, you, you, you go out and you, if your team is playing Purdue this week, which is the scene I'm about to talk about, then, then you go out and you act like Purdue's defense. So, so, Rudy is playing end on the scout team and he's just getting killed. I mean, there's a, this big offensive tackle for uh, Notre Dame that's just just destroying him and the offensive tackle starts to feel sorry for Rudy because he's just killing him and so one play just kind of goes and he gives him a bump rather than really hits him hard and after the play Rudy who is just the guy's trying to be nice to him Rudy goes up to this guy and he hits him and he says what are you doing he says I'm the defensive end for Purdue what are you doing you know basically you got to practice like I don't don't treat me like that uh, what's happening here is very important and I love this Rudy's just on the scout team but he gets it we're playing for Notre Dame there is greatness in this calling I have been asked to do something that is incredibly important and so I'm going to do it for all my mind of course you know the next play the guy just totally destroys him but I, I love the scene Rudy gets it he's living into the calling that he had How much greater of a calling do we have as sons and daughters of God, as those redeemed by the blood of Christ, as those called to be, as we've been talking about, citizens in the eternal kingdom of Christ? We're not living for that as Christians. We've already been given that name. The Christian life is to live into that. Walk in a manner worthy to the calling that you have been called fully pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with power, right? We're receiving power from what God has done for us. Remember the calling, being strengthened with power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. You know, this only really happens if you know Jesus, if you really know God, and you know how much God loves you. You know sometimes I get deeply discouraged and when I do I want you to hear this you know what I can do and you know what you can do I can look to the cross I can look to the transaction I can look to this moment where God has demonstrated and proved his love for me in the most profound way And I can realize God loves me And I am encouraged Sometimes I'm deeply convicted for my sin. I feel like a total failure I feel like there's no way that I'm worthy before God. And you know what I can do in those moments? I can look to the cross and realize that the price of all of my sin has been paid in Jesus. Sometimes I'm tempted to sin. But when I am tempted, I can look to the cross and I can realize the creator of the universe loves me and wants fellowship with me. And it reorders my loves. Sometimes I feel the weight of aging, the weight of time going by so fast, the the weight of my life slipping away. But I can look to the cross and remember... That in Jesus, my death is dead. And that in Jesus, I have the hope of the resurrection. Don't you see, Christianity is not just an idea. It's not just a set of values. It's not just a set of morals that we ascribe to. It's a real relationship with God. This is Paul's prayer. We pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, verse nine, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in the manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing of the knowledge of God. How do you live? (laughs) How are you living? What is the Christian life for you? Are you living for something? And if you're living for something in the Christian life, then all God will ever do to you is bring you anxiety and fear and restlessness if you're living for something in the Christian life, you, your whole life will be, you'll never have peace in your heart, but that's not what Christianity is. That's not what the Bible says it is. You, you've made up an imaginary Jesus that isn't the real Jesus. Jesus is saying, no, I've have, I have achieved this for you. I've called you by my grace, that if you look to me and you believe to me, you can live from this. You realize that you will have this treasure trove of hope that is stored up for you in the heavenly places. You have been redeemed. You have been called. Live in light of that. Live in a manner worthy of that calling. And if you do, and if you're looking to the cross and you live in light of the cross, I want you to hear this. It's not that you're always going to live perfectly, but the more that you know him, The more that Christianity is just more than a list of principles and an actual relationship with a Lord and a Savior who loves you, you'll live into that and you'll live with peace and you'll live with poise and you'll live with purpose. Are you living for something or are you living from something? Let's pray. Father, I pray that the the depths of the riches of the gospel would be able to penetrate our heart on this day out here under a blue sky in Atlanta, Georgia, that we would realize how small we are and yet how profoundly we are loved. The calling that this good news is, this good news is, that calls us from death to life, that calls us to forgiveness. Father, may these truths penetrate our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would then cause us to live in light of this, to live in a manner worthy of this calling, to live out this calling that you have given us of son and daughter, of citizen of your eternal kingdom as as priests, as this holy nation. And so Father, I pray for all of us now that as we worship today, as we sing, as we even have fellowship later, The truth of what you have done for us in Jesus would penetrate and so the Lord the the manifestation of what you want to do through us would occur would be how we live would be how we scatter do this work Lord I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the Father